Hello, welcome to the Do Lectures podcast with me, Gav Thompson. Thank you very much for listening. Today on Being Amazing Despite, we're talking to Philippa White. Philippa is the founder of the International Exchange, also known as Thai. What Thai does is get leaders from the developed world, leaders in business, and match them up with organisations in the developing world to help solve some of their problems. It's a very simple idea, but it's a very powerful idea. And it was doing really well until COVID came along last year and kind of wrecked the business model. The idea was that the leaders would actually travel and work in situ on the ground with the organisations and actually kind of help hands-on. And obviously with travel bans and COVID, that business stopped virtually overnight. Anyway, we talked to Philippa about the origins of the idea, how it was working, and actually how they've managed to pivot, well, despite COVID. So please sit back, put your feet up, grab a coffee and have a listen to Philippa White on Being Amazing Despite. So welcome, Philippa, to the Do Lectures podcast with me, Gav Thompson. It's good to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here, Gav. So let's quickly just cover where you are sitting in the world right now. Oh, yes, gosh. I am sitting in Brazil. Olinda, if you listeners want to Google it, it's pretty amazing. It's just below the equator, just below the Amazon, kind of where it kind of pops out. Brazil pops out. Closest part to Lisbon, to Portugal. So, yeah, that's where I am. You have a lovely backstory. And the Philippines, let's start with your story, where you're from, and your career up until you launched Thai. Okay, my career and where I'm from. Yeah, so where I'm from. Well, I was born in South Africa. I grew up actually in Canada and I studied business in a business school in called the Richard Ivey School of Business in uh, London, Ontario in Canada. But then I I just really liked the idea of doing an exchange. So I got to do an exchange. I went to Bangkok, Thailand. Then I moved to London, England. And then I worked in advertising. So you did, yeah. And then you ended up in Brazil. Why? How? Good question. So I met the dad of my two girls. We met in London, England. He is Brazilian. So I met him. And because of him, I had the experience of knowing this world, which is kind of the Wild West where I live. Yeah, And I came up with the idea of Thai after a number of different things, which we'll get to, which is what I do. And then I needed to live in the place that I was setting it up. And he wanted to go home and all the sort of stars kind of aligned. And I was either going to do it, setting it up in South Africa because of my connections with South Africa. But I thought, no, you know what, I'm going to live in, I'm going to make this relationship work and try and set up my company. So that's how I got to know this part of the world. And I moved here to make my company happen. We are no longer together, but we're very, very, very close. Obviously, we share children and he lives down the street and it all works out. So it's fine. I can't let you skip the story about your uncle. I just I know it's probably not entirely relevant, but it's a good story about who your uncle was. It is relevant, actually. Yeah. He was Nelson Mandela's personal doctor when uh, Nelson Mandela came out of prison and started negotiations with the apartheid government. My (laughs) uncle was an aunt were really involved with the ANC. So I'm yeah. sure you're familiar with the ANC. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the political party, obviously, which Nelson Mandela was a part of. And growing up in Canada, 
I obviously, I mean, I grew up in Winnipeg. I mean, really the, the worst thing that we had to face was minus 40 degree weather and like freezing our tongues to pieces of metal when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Going to South Africa to visit my family, you know, talk about fighting for things that you believe in and truly embracing a cause. And the stories of fighting for the rights of people my aunt was pregnant when she was in jail. And I mean, there were just extraordinary stories. And so, I mean, he really marked my life. He was an extraordinary. I remember actually once when I was in Hermanus. Do you know Hermanus? I know it well. My ex-wife's mother family have a lovely, lovely house on the beach in Hermanus in, in Sambai. It's a good spot. No, well, lovely. So when I was there, I remember I was, I got caught in a rip. I didn't even know that what riptides were. I grew up in Winnipeg. I grew up in the middle of the prairie. So I just remember bodyboarding and suddenly I'm in my bikini bodyboarding and suddenly I look around and I'm surrounded by full wetsuit wearing surfers. And I look and I'm going further and further and further and further out into the middle of the ocean. It was the scariest experience. And I remember my uncle you know, just diving in and he comes and saves me. And I was like, oh my God, you oh, know, he was wow. a surfer and he was, he was amazing anyway, but he. There's a reason he, why it's, it's the shark viewing capital of South Africa is <laughs> because it's full of great white sharks down there. So I know, it's not I got, a place to be casually cruising around on a boogie board. I think your uncle is a brave man. Terrifying situation. So anyway, but he passed away. It must've been about 2003, I think. And I went to his funeral. God, you know, I looked around, as I say, I mean, he held a really special place in my heart and I always found him super, super, super inspirational. But when I looked around the room at the celebration of life, it really hit me and I thought, oh my God, there were so many different faces. You know, there was a, maybe it was the health minister with two bodyguards. I, re I remember, you know, some minister uh, with a couple of bodyguards. There were obviously medical colleagues, there were family members, and then there were obviously people from the shanty towns that he also had, you know, touched their lives too. And I remember there was a man and he put up his hand and this was after everybody had spoken and he said, I'd really like to say something, please. And I said, the family, whoever was running, I was like, yes, of course. So he went up and he said, I wasn't on the panel to speak, but I felt it was really, really important to explain just how much Neil really impacted my life. And he said, you know, all the other doctors treated us like animals, um, as if they were vets. And Neil, he treated us like human beings. He could actually speak to us. And it made me really think, like, that's crazy. You know, yeah. the fact that that was even a thing, you know. And then this African woman, she put up her hand and she said, I'd like to say something. She had this incredible presence. And she walked with huge presence to the front of this room and sort of everybody was just captivated by her. And she said, I was in jail during apartheid. Neil risked his life by not only going to a part of the city where I was, uh, which would have obviously been a black jail, but he passed me chocolates. And in those chocolates, he explained what was happening on the outside. And she said, during a really dark time of my life, he gave me light. I was like, oh, what an amazing God. guy. Just, and I was looking around and I thought, what an amazing guy. But then it made me realize, you know what? How extraordinary to have obviously touched so many different people's lives, but also all of those people had touched his life in such a profound way that he was this incredibly inspirational man. John Hagerty, Sir John Hagerty, who's one of our advisors, 
And John talks a lot about the importance of expanding your personal circle to be able to reach your full potential. The importance of stepping out of your comfort zone, and but also the circle of people that you know and meeting people that are in industries different to your own, in worlds different to your own, is so powerful because not only is it important for other people to meet new people, but it's so important to you and you can become such a better, more interesting, worldly individual. And I just thought, God, you know, my uncle, it just, he epitomized that. So anyway, yeah, that's my uncle. Very big shoes to fill. And I guess that is a sort of lovely introduction to Ty. I want you to explain to everyone what Ty is. I guess this series of podcasts is entitled Being Amazing Despite. And I think what Philippa has done with Ty is amazing. I think it's a brilliant idea. I don't want to steal your thunder in a second, but it's what's lovely about it is it's it's one of those rare ideas where kind of everybody wins. It's a very smart piece of thinking and it is a classic win-win-win where everyone benefits and it's beautiful. The despite Thank you. No, it is it's amazing, honestly. I'm I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm it's just really nice. I, I, you know that I'm bigging it up quite a bit because it is fab and it's genuinely beautiful. And I guess the despite, which is a nice and lovely despite given lockdown and this horrific kind of mutated COVID virus, is that COVID came along, we'll hear in a second, you know, potentially could have absolutely crushed your enterprise, but actually it's probably perhaps made it even better. And I guess that's the despite, is being amazing despite COVID and actually possibly flourishing and thriving through COVID, which is, you don't get to hear many of those stories. So let's start with Ty. First of all, explain what Ty is, explain what it stands for, explain how you got the idea, tell us what it is. Okay, well, I think what I might, because you, you asked a few things in there, and I think maybe the thing that makes the most sense perhaps is to start where the inspiration, I guess, because actually that moment of my uncle's celebration of life was probably one of the first instigators of, holy shit, more people need to have this, you know, more people need to to have the opportunity to see the power of stepping out of your bubble and reaching your full potential. So I think my uncle wasn't the only one that was in the helping people world, kind of my whole family, actually. <laughs> They're all doctors, like my brother's an environmental engineer. My sister works in public health. She was in South Africa for a number of years running the antiretroviral rollout in the Western Cape of South Africa. And doing the monitoring and evaluation of it, working for the government of South Africa, and then she worked for Chai. And you're, you're sitting there going, I've got this amazing uncle who's one of the inspirational men in the history of South Africa. I've got this family who are all saving the world, doing good, and I'm, and I'm selling the mail on Sunday in advertising. There you go. I'm sitting in advertising, flogging shit. I know that feeling. Yeah. The reason I can say that is because I was also sitting in advertising flogging shit for many years. You've actually done something about it. So, yeah, I know that sort of feeling of, is this my calling in life to flog shit like the mail on Sunday? Yeah, and I think that feeling kind of, because when I reflected on the private sector, not just advertising, like when I reflected on kind of the feeling of the helping people world has a heart, it has a soul, it sort of feels worthwhile, it has a purpose. I felt like that's kind of what's missing in the private sector. It's kind of, that's what I felt was missing. It's sort of, I had no desire to be a doctor. And I think that's the key with all of this. It's like, we don't need to quit our jobs and go and do something else. And the thing is, is the skills that I had, I knew that it they were worthwhile. It's like, I've worked really hard. I'm pretty, you know, I feel like I'm 
sort of smart. Like I can do things. It was sort of that feeling of, I just, I don't want to quit my job. I don't want to be a doctor, but I know in my heart, I know that what I know has some grander purpose in the whole scheme of things, you know? And I knew I wasn't the only one who felt that way. It was the feeling of, I just want to know that my, what I know can in some way be useful to making the world somewhat better. That's a hell of a insight to have on your own situation. I mean, we both know there are lots of sort of people in advertising, particularly as they get older, kind of get more and more frustrated with the fact that they aren't really making the world a better place. They are flogging crap. You see it all the time. I mean, there's lots of sort of grumpy people who don't grow old gracefully in advertising. And I think what you did is spot on, which is you go, look, I'm good at this. I have a, I've got some skills which actually can make the world a better place and you got on and did it which is you know no mean feat so good on you Philippa thank you thanks but it was kind of like it wasn't so much about me going off and doing that I guess what I was feeling at the time back in 2004 yeah it was 2004 I was like I'm not the only one who feels like this like everybody feels like this in the privacy you know there are so many people who are in that moment of Oh my God. Well, basically either I'm selling my life, sort of selling my soul to the devil and working in the private sector or advertising or finance or whatever it is, or I go and do something good and worthy and I work for an NGO. And then in 2004, I was like, well, why does it have to be an either or? Why does it have to be an either or? The classic and, and. <laughs> yeah. And then, so then the thinking, yeah. sort of the next step, was, okay, hold on a second. Like, we know that NGOs really struggle from a human resource and financial resource point of view. They're doing really great work, but I think we all know in many ways they're not super efficient. Yeah. They really struggle to be able to just do things. And the government, we don't trust it. It's kind of becoming more and more that we don't trust the government. And anyway, that aside, it takes too long to do anything anyway. But if we look at the private sector, and the thing is, is back in 2004, we talked a lot about, remember, corporate social responsibility and the corporate world just has to do good. You know, we just need to. And it's like, actually, hold on a second. Like, no, you kind of do not because you're sort of being forced to. People won't work for you if they don't think that what they're doing is actually in some way purposeful and it's just going to get worse. It's like more and more people want to work in a place that they actually believe in. And not only that, even then in 2004, there was, you know, Patagonia was there sort of standing for something. It was the very start of where consumers were also saying, hold on a second, I want to buy something from a company that is actually selling something that is stands for something. And yeah. that was sort of, it was still very, very, very early days. There was a bit of that conversation. And the thinking was, for me anyway, was we need people on the outside of the private sector to not be looking at it and saying, okay, the spawn of the devil. People on the outside of it need to sort of say, okay, I want to work on it in it because I want to feel like I can be a driver of change. And we want people on the inside of the private sector not to quit and want to be doctors or do something else that they need to stick around and be like, okay, I can be a part of something bigger using what I know. That was sort of the thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if anyone has been fortunate enough or wasted 20 minutes of their life watching my do lecture from 2012, so a bit after that, 
that was my whole two lecture was about exactly that being the kind of pirate inside. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh well, there you go. That's twenty minutes of your life yeah. you won't get back. But um, <laughs> it's about exactly what you just said. Just taking being inside the private sector, and rather than being binary, going it's either kind of you know NGOs and and the third sector or private. It's actually look you can amalgamate both. You can do the end and you can still be driving shareholder value and yes. working in a commercial yes. operation, but also be doing some good and also be, quote-unquote, making the world a better place. And that, that sort of win-win, which you've cracked with Ty, I think is genius. Tell everyone the genius idea that is Ty, and then we, we can go back to this in a second. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so basically, I mean, the spiel, I guess, or the one-liner is we help arm the world with the leaders that it truly needs now by getting people out of their bubble and seeing the world through a different lens. And so it's a leadership program. Before COVID, we did it in person. So maybe I sort of talk about that in the sense that people would physically step out of their life at BBH or Leo Burnett or, you know, Octopus Investments, Wyden & Kennedy, and they would in 30 days be placed in Ghana or Malawi or Brazil, and they would work on a very specific social project using the skills that they have to impact that organization. But obviously, it's a lot bigger than that. So the thinking, the way that it works is we connect private sector, corporate professionals with social initiatives around the world. And we create a catalyst for change, a catalyst for change where they obviously impact those organizations in other places around the world. But at the same time, they change and they grow and they test themselves and they are forced to work in environments that are completely different to what they're familiar with, with people that they've never worked with before in a language they've probably never spoken before. And they're tested. They have to create a solution in a very short amount of time. They become sort of like a CEO for 30 days. And it's a real test. I mean, we have really experienced professionals who have called me crying where, you know, they're really properly out of their comfort zone, um, having to solve a problem that is no small problem. I and mean, many times the problems, they, they suddenly feel incredibly overwhelmed because it's a real life problem that they need to find a solution to. But it's using the skills that they have. So it's not like they're out there reading to children or they're painting fences. What they are doing is they are cracking a real challenge using what they know. So it could be we need to get... PrEP, which is a HIV drug, out to really poor individuals in the middle of Hisifi, Brazil, so that they don't contract HIV. And it's like, end, go. You've got 30 days. Can I just explain why this is so unbelievably genius and brilliant? Because obviously, you know, it's easier for me to massively blow your trumpet than, than you. The reason this is really, really, really clever, and it is for me having tried to do a little bit of stuff myself in this area over the years, it is a win, 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 win. Five wins, right? So first of all, it's a win for the individual. So Mr. Billy Big Bollocks sitting in advertising or in, in London in advertising or marketing or corporate world gets them out of their comfort zone. It stretches them. It gives them an amazing personal experience, possibly life-changing. So, you know, they're going to come back a much better, more rounded individual. So win number one is the individual. Win number two is the company that they rejoin. So they're going to come back. These guys, presumably, are, they're leaders. They're, they're high flyers. This is a kind of leadership program. They're coming back, and they're suddenly 
a transformed leader with much more broader set of skills, much more empathy, much better for the business, for the team, for their colleagues. So that's a win. Second win for the team. Third win for the employer, because suddenly potential employees go, wow, they run, they're part of the Thai program. I'd love to do that. From a kind of corporate brand point of view, it just looks good. It's good for retention. It's part of your CSR plan. It's just It shows you're a broad-minded, open-minded, progressive employer. So that's another win. So that's all the wins on the left-hand side of the column. And then the massive wins are for the enterprise, for the community social enterprise in the developing world, which is these guys come and they help us with a real problem. And some of the case studies are amazing. So I want you to tell us about those in a second. But you know, they're really coming in. I mean, the Malawian oven story, you tell us that in a second. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like, so they come in 30 days, they change stuff for the huge power for positivity and good. And then the final win is all the skills, they're, they're transferring all this knowledge and skills, you know, teach a man to fish, blah, 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 all that stuff. They're actually leaving the community in a much better place than they found it. So it's everyone's a winner. And in the meantime, you know, you you also, you're doing your bit to make the world a better place. So it's, sorry, I get quite enthused about this, Philip, but I should be, you know, this is turning into an infomercial for Thai. Yeah, I think it's genuinely an amazing idea. It's fantastic and I doff my cap to you, if indeed I was wearing one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you can be my PR person. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I can't help myself. Yeah, go, go. Tell us more. Tell, tell us how it sort of actually works. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, and maybe the despite kind of comes into this a little bit, perhaps, because, and this is sort of, I guess, where the drama hits. Because we've been doing this since 2007 was when we had our first pilot with Leo Burnett. Love you, Leo Burnett. Shout out to Leo Burnett. And with Wyden and Kennedy. Shout out to Wyden and Kennedy. You guys are amazing. Because basically it was this initial idea, you know, let's send your amazing people off across the world to somewhere and trust me, it'll all be fine. And they did. But it was obviously a success because we've been now doing it since then. And it was really, really amazing. So anyway, come to kind of January of this time last year, when I got back from South Africa, I stopped off in London, you know. And just to recap, so you'd been doing it for 12 years, 13 years. It was doing its thing. You you know, you were, because I guess part of the challenge today, and we'll talk about the despite in a second, is you've got to get the customers, if you like. So you've got to get the right businesses on board, the right candidates coming through. Obviously, they pay for it. Yeah, the company... So you've got, you've got to get the customers' clients, but also you've got to get the right partnership organisations on the ground who are going to benefit from this, who are going to accommodate this person kind of appearing out of nowhere. It's no mean feat to be able to build that because in some ways you can have a nice pipeline of participants, but you also need the right organisation on the ground. So it's, But you've done that. It was working. It was all good. And then what happened? Oh, yeah. Like we worked that we started just with clients, corporate clients in London and just sending people to Brazil. But very, very quickly, we expanded to corporate clients in New York as well. And we're now working in 21 different countries around the world. So and we work with so many different causes, marine life, children's rights, education, human rights, HIV, health. I mean, just everything as long as the organizations are credible. So of course, there's a lot of work that goes into understanding the organizations, making sure that they are credible, finding out, you know, getting references, finding out who funds them, et cetera. So just making sure that that's all nice and tidy and good. And of course, like you say, the projects, we need to ensure that whatever the brief is for the organization, 
we can ensure that the right people can get a lot out of it themselves, but also give a lot. But I think what's really important to say is all of this is about stepping out of your comfort zone, being pushed in ways that you would never normally be pushed. And that means that you're not going to necessarily be doing what you would normally do every single day when you're in your desk job. So it's stepping out of that desk job, drawing on things that you didn't even know you had. And this is what's so special because there's not that many opportunities out there. You know, you have these professionals who've been siloed. They're working in a very, you know, I'm the strategic director for this large organization. And they just end up doing that all the time. Then suddenly they're drawing on what they learned at university. They suddenly didn't even know what they knew. And they're running something. They suddenly realize, you know, gosh, this is who I am. This is my personal purpose. This is what makes me tick. Oh my God, you know, I now realize more of what I want to do in my job because this is what speaks to me. I'm so passionate about whatever it might be. So we've had people, for example, who are strategists and they said, God, I didn't realize how much I enjoy making things happen. I feel a little bit stuck in my role. Actually, I need to go back. I need to talk to my talent people because actually what I really want, I want more of a hybrid role. I need to, so rather than throw the baby out in the bathwater, quit your job, look for something else, it's ah, this is what makes me tick. This is what I'm all about. And it discovering people's self-awareness, again, their personal purpose. And of course, you know, their cultural intelligence. I mean, this is a huge thing now. I mean, gosh, with the importance of anyway, so then COVID hit. So everything was working really well. We had lots of great things lined up and then COVID hit, you know, borders shut down. Companies obviously trying to stay alive. Our clients just lovely. I mean, I love my clients, but the thing is, is they've been needing to make sure that they can pay their people and no one has time to think about anything like this. They just had to sort of buckle down and keep going. So that obviously meant that we couldn't send anyone anywhere and physically we couldn't send anyone anywhere. Meanwhile, we all got COVID. So this was in March. So every single person in my family, including me, we all got COVID, like the 8th of March, I guess. So we get COVID, like two months of it, because one person gets it, then another person gets it. Then. So it's like coughing, children in bed. I didn't even know it was COVID. So I'm like, come sleep with me, children coughing in my face. And so I had sort of a month and a half of COVID being coughed in my face. Anyway, that was not fun. And then I'm looking at the situation and thinking, holy shit, like the world is shutting down. My entire business model relies on the world being open. And then on top of that, our partners that we work with, I'm now starting to get emails daily from various partners saying, oh my gosh, we're really being dramatically impacted by COVID. Can you help? Is there, you know, we really need help figuring out how to pivot. We really need help raising awareness of whatever it might be. We really need help thinking through our long-term financial strategy, how this is going to work, you know. And I'm there with kids coughing all over the place. I'm feeling a little bit kind of deer caught in the headlights. What the hell am I going to do? And there's this wave of these emails coming through. And just also to be clear, like I'm the breadwinner of the family. We're a social enterprise. You know, I'm looking at the situation thinking, holy shit, like how, oh God, there's just so much woven into all of this. It's really tricky. And so at that point, I think you were kind of staring down the barrel of, look, you know, this thing's going to have to close it, fold it, you know, there's no way it can work if I can't get Bob from New York into Malawi or Jill from London into Brazil, right? It's just suddenly the whole thing's just like kaput. Yeah, I mean, basically it was, I never, I'm not a depressed person at all. I did have two days of, holy shit. And I remember there was somebody who called me, it was like this new person who was like, oh, I, I like the idea of what you're doing, let's have a chat. I heard about you through some PR thing. I almost started crying on the call. He's like, oh, you're obviously having a bit of a bad day. I'm like, yeah, I'm having a really bad day. 
So it was a really tough time. But then it was honestly, this is where I come back. My father also in 2008, he passed away. My uncle passed away. But throughout this whole moment, I'm not a religious person, but I think I must believe in energy or something looking over me because then it was a daily or certainly weekly thing of serendipity, just everything happening. It started with a conversation I had with somebody who went on Thai back in 2014, I think, Mel Parsi, shout out to Mel, who's the global strategy director at Be Real, based in New York. We had a call, we started talking about strategically how I could sort of pivot. Then I started to have these conversations with the various different organizations and really properly understanding what they need. And long story short, very quickly developed a virtual offering that was definitely what the organizations needed. There were three virtual offerings. But also it was very clear, the corporate world, I couldn't rely on it right away because of obvious situation. But there was a real need for individuals as well to want to get involved. Because obviously there were people who were furloughed. There were people who were through this shared experience. People are even more feeling connected to the rest of the world, wanting to help. I think we all can agree that the whole world is more human, I think, as a result of all of this and the real desire to in some way help. So very, very quickly, I developed a B2C offering and then two B2B offerings. People started helping. So we had the Be Real agency who dedicated 12 people to create our B2C offering, which is Thai Accelerator, and they created the site and the positioning and all the ads, which was unbelievable. So we could launch that. And then I've you know, got a handful of other people who have stepped up to the plate to kind of help create the strategy and the thinking behind all of this. So long story short, we have these virtual offerings, which we then were able to pilot and then run. And now we are coming into 2021 with proper offerings that have now been piloted and now already impacted organizations in an amazing way, impacted people in an amazing way. And now we're about to close some new business with some big company. So that's where things got to. This is amazing. I mean, I, you know, genuinely, there's not much good news stories coming out of COVID, particularly at the moment. And actually, I think your future, because obviously once COVID, once we can get back to some sense of normality, you can still go back to the old model as an addition to this model. But I think making it virtual is just a kind of fab way of broadening the appeal. And from marketing sense expanding your addressable audience right because a, a it's less of a commitment I mean it's a fair amount of upheaval for somebody to say right to the team right I'll see you in a month so that I'm sure that was a somewhat of a barrier to entry and secondly from a cost point of view the new virtual option is much more affordable and also by definition having more people coming through the system you can impact more businesses impact more individuals and most importantly impact more partner organizations on the ground I know. And that's what's actually really cool because this year, and I will get to your stove stories and all of that in a sec, but what was really exciting is we did one of our projects with an organization based in Syria and Iraq. Now, obviously, we've never been able to do that before. And it's an organization that works with mental health. There actually is no hospital or clinic that helps people deal with the trauma that they face in that region, which obviously is a lot of war violence and torture and a lot of trauma. And so we worked with this organization and created an incredible solution for them with a group of people dotted around the world. I mean, it was just an extraordinary, it was so unbelievable and showed that 
oh my gosh, now that we are working virtually, we can work in regions where we've never been able to. So now we're about to work with, again, we've got a, another project written up with them again. So it's exciting because, and also, like you say, there's a lot of people who have families or like for whatever reason, can't step out of their job for however long. And now we've got one of the other offerings that we have works with CEOs. So really, really senior individuals. And again, for them to get on a plane and go to a completely different place around the world, okay, it would be interesting, but it's hard, of course. And so we were now currently working with that group of people as well. So suddenly, because of COVID, one, I was able to save our social enterprise, which impacts so many people around the world. So thank God we didn't have to close. But also it's starting to impact so many more professionals in ways that we haven't been able to touch them either. So individuals can get involved, very senior individuals can get involved, and so many more people within a company can get involved because we have groups of four to six people who work on these team projects. Yeah, it's very cool. I guess that's the other bit we didn't mention. That that's Why don't you just quickly explain what the virtual offering is, both because some of our listeners, I'm sure, as I did when you first explained it to me back in you know December, I was like, I would quite like to do that. So just explain the individual offering. Yeah, so basically, Thai Accelerator is our B2C offering. So finally, individuals can get involved without being sponsored by their company, which is exciting because sometimes there's, you know, not everyone's company is going to be getting involved. So send in an application, but it will be a group of anywhere from three to six people, depending on sort of the group that we pull together. Working with an organization, it's either going to be a Zambian organization working with three kids or a Brazilian organization working with the Atlantic Rainforest. And basically, it's a six-week program two hours a day, CPD accredited, and basically it allows you to be able to crack a problem working with people that you've never worked with before, but amazing because you just develop friendships basically with people dotted around the world, and you get to, in an amazing way, get your skin, sort of get under the skin of a challenge that you wouldn't have known about before, meet people obviously in a region that you wouldn't have been able to meet before, and tangibly impact that organization and you obviously go through the process learn about international development there's training beforehand and you follow the Thai process and it's just a again back to what Thai it provides people with the opportunity to step out of their bubble raise their game and see the world through a different lens and as a result you know become a a better professional and person basically that's the Thai accelerator one the team Thai virtual team, Thai one, which is a corporate one, is almost identical. It's just working within a company. So, you know, there's a big insurance company that we're about to close with. Um, They came to us saying, you know, we're a very large organization, a bit disjointed, sort of everyone all over the place, particularly working with virtual working. It's just feeling even more separated and we want to bring people together. So I'm looking for something to get a team of people working together on something from different areas from within the business to crack a problem. So it'll be a group of four to six people. They're going to do a couple and it's basically getting people from within the network. Um, that one has in, uh, that has leadership coaching as well, just because it's the corporate one, but it's an so you have the international development training, gets you understanding about international development. Then you get paired to a brief, you have the coaching beforehand. Then you sort of run through the six-week process. Again, it's only a couple of hours a day, runs for six weeks, coaching at the end. And it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. So that's that one. And then we have, we have the Thai advisor one. We don't have as many of those off, like options. There's really only a handful per year, but that is for a very senior 
very senior individual working with a very senior individual from the organization. So at the moment, we have one working in India with a CEO, and he's working with the executive director. And actually, uh, there's two of them working together. So and working with the executive director of a, a children's rights organization in India and helping over three months, a couple of hours a week, helping just them with succession planning and moving forward. But it's also following the same type process. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think one of my favorite books, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, is Adam Morgan's book, A Beautiful Constraint, which is all about innovation. It's a great book. Adam's a genius. Shout out to Adam if he's listening. Which is how, just for those who don't know it, how in situations where there is a constraint, a big constraint, that's sometimes where true innovation comes and true growth comes. And actually to be given some quite chewy constraining problems can be a really enlightening we talk about that with Ty I mean with Ty because again with your despite be amazing despite Ty is actually be amazing despite we talk a lot about necessity is the mother of invention you know the obstacle is the way in every challenge there is an opportunity I mean we talk about that all the time because people on all of these projects you have limited resources financial resources limited human resources you have limited time and you have to crack something in, you know, in a situation that is far, you know, you definitely don't face situations like that in your day-to-day -day life, but it's unbelievable what happens as a result of all of this. It's unbelievable what happens. And it's a beautiful constraint. The really clever thing is you've solved a problem that you didn't even know existed nine months ago. And that is the problem of virtual teams who are now living their life on Zoom. The problem with Zoom, as we all know, is it's such enclosed into a little black rectangle that once the meeting stops, that's it. That kind of team bonding thing that we all love in our lives, there's none of that. And what you've developed with the Thai team thing, it's so clever, Philippa, because it brings in team dynamics, team bonding, which is missing in today's Zoom world. But also the clever bit about it is it, it helps organizations in developing countries who were also feeling stranded by covid and under-resourced and have dealing with horrific problems and the, genuinely the fact that this came out of covid is so brilliant and beautiful and you are a genius and you're oh my god is, no you <laughs> i don't get out much these days <laughs> You, uh, so look, Philippa, we, we're going to have to wrap up, but can you just, because I love the story of the Malarian Stove Company, because I just, it's a beautiful summation of why Ty's so brilliant. So tell us. I mean, it's a very simple, it's a very simple story, but it just basically Trevor, the we call him Trevor the designer. He was working at the time in White and Kennedy in New York, obviously lived on InDesign or, you know, whatever design software he used. He comes from Midwest America, and the furthest he had traveled, I think, he had gone once to Cancun on spring break holiday. So you can imagine how cultural that was. So he I've, basically... I've, I've had the pleasure, yeah. <laughs> it's not great. It's yeah, it's cactus. definitely not a lot of culture. No, it's not a lot of culture. Uh, so anyway, he amazingly applied to go on this, the Thai experience. So I mean, that in itself is like, wow, good on you, Trevor, because you hadn't obviously done anything like this before. And he found himself in Malawi. I mean, obviously beforehand, he didn't know where Malawi was even, you know, on the, and, and I'm not talking badly of Trevor, he would have said exactly this. He didn't even know where it was on the map. So he shows up in Malawi and basically the brief was we have these fuel efficient stoves. They're so affordable. 
the leading cause of death in Malawi for children under five is lower tract respiratory infections because of smoke inhalation. The second leading cause of death in Malawi for adults is the same thing. People aren't working because they're having to travel so far to cut down wood. Of course, CO2 levels uh, being really high from just the smoke in the atmosphere. So basically, these fuel efficient stoves were really, really important for a number of reasons. Super affordable. They just the brief was and I can still picture it. We just need to make these stoves sexy. Over two years, they sold 500 stoves. So anyway, Trevor, the designer had 30 days. So it's like end go. You have 30 days to figure out why these stoves aren't selling. You know, you need to brand it. You need to kind of just kind of go for it. Go. So the stove had been invented, which was a much lower toxic, sort of more more healthy, more less harmful stove. But they hadn't managed to market it, sell it, build a brand, all that stuff, right? No. They needed a better, yeah. They basically just needed to do what Trevor does. And this is the thing. He obviously is Trevor. He works just on InDesign. But again, coming back to what we talked about before, it's unbelievable what people are capable of because you suddenly draw on, you know, you through osmosis and just living through the advertising process, you know so much more. So he needed to do strategy. He needed to drive the project. He needed to be an agency and one person, basically. Working with people he'd never worked with before, having to get people to trust him. So again, that comes back to the cultural intelligence part. You know, he needed to gain people's trust, needed to get the chiefs of the communities to talk to him, to get to give him the information for him to talk to the women from the households. So he had to go on a proper strategy session to really understand. He had to understand what's currently happening with the illegal coal factories or whatever they call them. Long story short, at the end of 30 days, created a presentation. I mean, he's a, he loved photography, so he took lots of pictures. He understood the sort of thinking behind it, created this brand, launched it. At the end of the day of that launch, 10,000 stoves were ordered. And actually, I caught up with Connor Fox, who's from Hestian, who's the co-founder, I think, or anyway, very senior individual. They actually, Their goal for 2020 was to reach 2 million, and they reached 2 million. And he puts it down to the campaign that he created. They, they became the leading stove manufacturer in that region, and it's Trevor the Designer. And Wyden and Kennedy. I mean, shout out to Wyden and Kennedy because they obviously supported him to do it. So. It's amazing. Look, that's a great story and it sums up the brilliance, the brilliance of the idea, the power of the model and your genius. I'll say it again. Well, thank you. That's very kind. I think it's a lovely story. I love the original insight. I love the pivot and I love the fact that actually you are thriving or will be thriving on the back of COVID and your enterprise is in a much better shape. You'll touch many more people both the participants and the enterprises. Can you just quickly tell people how they can find out more, apply? What's the website? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to be doing a couple of Thai Accelerator experiences per year. So definitely, if you're interested as an individual getting involved, do get in touch. You can find out about that on our website as well, which is theinternationalexchange.co.uk. So I keep talking about Thai, but Thai stands for theinternationalexchange.co.uk. And of course, if you're a company listening to this and you're keen to get your team's involved then you can also find out about corporate offerings on the same website so get in touch oh i've also got a podcast so if people are keen to listen to thai unearthed or i'm sure you can find it on our website or on spotify or whatever but we've got some cool stories and cool organizations that we've spoken to ceos interesting people there so yeah cool thank you it's a fascinating story you are a great example of being amazing despite i think from a do lectures point of view you sum up the whole spirit of the do lectures which is sort of taking ideas 
doing something with them and making the world a better place and inspiring people in the process. So you, again, ticked every box from a do lectures point of view. I love the do lectures. Shout out to you guys as well. Oh, you, you are so, like, David as well, super inspiring, the whole, everything, the team. Amazing. Thank you so much, Philippa. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's nice to talk to someone that's in Brazil and who's actually thriving and best of luck with Ty. I'm going to find a way if, if I can get on it somehow. I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. But anyway, thank you so much for joining the podcast. The lovely Philippa White from Ty. You've been listening to me, Gav Thompson, talking to Philippa White on Being Amazing Despite. This is the Do Lectures podcast, and this is episode six of season two. Please do drop me a note, gav at thedolectures.co.uk, with any feedback, any suggestion for future guests, or just to say hi. And also, please uh, leave us a review. Please do subscribe and do all those fun things that one does these days with podcasts. The show was produced by the lovely George McDonough, and the music was by the fabulous James Morton. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, take care, and see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye.